Since September, I've been using an app to lead me in centering prayer, which is ridiculous if you don't already know, because centering prayer is where you just sit in silence and try to empty yourself of every thought and be present to God. It's really like the last thing you need technology for. The app is basically just like a timer that can only time in 20-minute increments with a singing bell at the end of it. But it does let you customize your experience by choosing a beginning and ending prayer from a list of options, something I definitely could not do, you know, just on my own. And there is a line in the opening prayer that I use that I, I really like. It says, when there is nowhere else to go, inspire me to drop into my heart and find your life-giving grace there. It's a good line for me because, honestly, prayer is something I only think to turn to as a last resort. When there is nowhere else to go. When I realize there's nothing I can do. I was there in September when I downloaded the app. I had hit another, another pandemic wall. The cracks were starting to show, so I downloaded that thing. And I got reminded again that when I'm in that stuck place, all I need to do is to drop down into my heart and God and God's grace are already there. In the last few weeks, I realized it was going to be a good prayer for this next season of COVID again. When suddenly there's nowhere else to go. I'm supposed to be just coming back from a road trip to Toronto. We were going to surprise Nola for Christmas, her first time in another country, a stop at Niagara Falls, eat some poutine, learn how to curl. It would have been great. Instead, the week before Christmas, we canceled it all and spent like the last few days of the, before the holiday like scrambling to try to find something else, something that felt safer. Everything was booked or expensive or required more than like 36 hours advance planning. I, I proposed at one point a backpacking trip in the Smoky Mountains, which Rochelle thought we should probably have planned some for. Uh, <laughs> so we didn't do that. And as Christmas got closer, our, our desperation increased. At one point, I looked at Rochelle kind of excited and said, what about Bloomington? We could show her where we got married and like order food from some of our favorite places. And she just looked at me kind of vaguely insulted and said, Indiana? <laughs> when there is nowhere else to go. <laughs> On our last rescheduled trip, which was just last month, uh, when our plans for the Red River Gorge fell through, we ended up staying at a church camp in southern Michigan. They were offering a special for families of pastors, which they referred to, unfortunately, as a precation, <laughs> which made it much tougher to sell to Rochelle. <laughs> Three days and two nights at a church camp. And by the second night, of course, we had run out of things to do. We'd hiked the trails, we'd been to the beach, we exhausted the playground, and yes, we watched everything I'd downloaded on the laptop just as a last resort. Dinner was eaten, Nola had her bath, and there was still an hour until bedtime. Grasping at straws, I grabbed a pad of paper and a pen and proposed, let's play hangman, which as soon as I said it, I realized is a truly awful concept for a children's game. 
So if you talk to Nola about it, that's a puppet that you're drawing when you're playing hangman. It's like a little marionette. We played hangman for like an hour, and it turned out it was the highlight of the weekend. We laughed so much in that hour. We had so much fun playing that simple, gruesome game. And really that whole weekend, stuck at a church camp, making our own fun without the normal distractions, nothing else to do, nowhere else to go. I came back to myself for a while. I dropped into my heart and found grace. On this first Sunday of the year, we usually tell this story of the wise people, the magi. And it always kind of makes sense to me because we're talking about them around New Year's when people are making resolutions and considering changes, looking for direction. When the year lays out before us like a journey to be traveled, we have this story of wise people finding and following the star that they are meant to follow to the place where they're meant to be. It's a good metaphor, watching for that star that will guide us, traveling great distances in search of wisdom, looking high and low for a God to whom we can bring our gifts. That's what this Sunday has always been about to me. That's what the Magi have always been about to me, planning out that next stage of my spiritual journey, of my life journey, figuring out where I'll go in the coming year. I love that image, and not just on this Sunday. I mean, you've heard me preach about the spiritual life as a journey over and over again. Spiritual growth as something you move towards, something you go seeking after. Wisdom as something you have to leave home to find, like the Magi. If we want to grow, we have to stay on the move. It turns out that's all incorrect, at least about the Magi. I went down kind of a deep rabbit hole last week. Uh, Being a preacher and not having a sermon to write for a week is like being at a church camp for three days and two nights in the middle of winter by yourself. So I went deep on magi, not just the magi in our story, but magi in general. There's a lot we don't know about them. Some sources say they were priests of Zoroastrianism. Some say they were court priests who sacrificed to kind of like whatever God was most expedient. Maybe they were from one particular region of Persia. Maybe they were from all over. A few accuse them of being charlatans, but most, even people who are not part of their practice or their culture, saw them as practitioners of good and powerful magic. But before all that, before they were priests, before they, were, before they had any reputation at all, back at their roots, what I found out is they were probably fire keepers. Athravan, a word that I put in there just so you would know I did the research. Fire keepers, the people who in each village in Persia tended to a community fire. They had a hut and they kept a fire going all the time so that individual families didn't have to. Families could cook and let the fire die out and then go back to the fire keeper to get a coal to rekindle it. In a world without lighters or matches, when fire starting was hard work, the fire keepers provided an important service to the community, tending the flame. Which means that all along, I've had exactly the wrong metaphor for the Magi, like totally opposite. 
They weren't travelers. They were the most stationary people of all. The ones who had to stay put. The ones who everyone else traveled to. Who they came and talked to every day. The ones who spent time beside the fire with all of their neighbors. Staring into the flames, telling stories, catching up on the news. Which over time gave them this reputation for wisdom and eventually for healing too because they were the people who knew what was going on. They knew what had worked for everyone else and they could share that information between people. And this combination of accumulated knowledge from the whole community and the long hours of sitting by a fire and dropping into that quiet heart space you get around a campfire made them wise people keeping that fire going through long nights taught them the stars that were over that hut and the ways that they moved across the sky. That's the only way they could recognize a new star at its rising. That's how they knew something special was happening, something so important that it was finally worth leaving the fire for. They wouldn't have noticed if they had been traveling around all the time, always under a new set of stars, looking at things from a different angle each night. They only saw it, they only knew it was special because they had spent night after night in the same spot, tending the fire, with nowhere else to go. Nothing else to do, nowhere to run, nothing to distract, just the fire, and the sky for hours and hours, night after night, year by year. Maybe that's a better metaphor for the spiritual life. Not a journey that you go on, but a fire that you tend. Maybe the path to God doesn't lead around the world. Maybe it's not really a path at all. It's just the distance from my planning head to my beating heart. Maybe spiritual growth comes to the one who gets to know a community well enough to accumulate the wisdom of a lot of different people. Maybe it comes from being outside a lot, from getting to know your tiny patch of land or sky as well as anyone in the world. Maybe it comes from long hours of silence staring into a campfire. And maybe the question to ask myself at the beginning of another year, or at least this month of the year, hopefully, is not what do I need to do to find direction or, or where should I go to look for God, but how can I still, how can I get still enough for wisdom to find me? How can I get bored enough to be present to the God who is already here? whose life-giving grace is inside me, waiting for me to claim it? How quickly can I get to my last resort? What would I find if I stayed right in this spot and didn't get up to do anything or plan anything, didn't turn toward anything to distract myself, didn't escape into a show or a podcast or even a book. What if I gave myself nowhere else to go but down into my heart, day after day, night after night, for a whole year, or a whole month, or just even once? Maybe the God I have been chasing after 
the direction I have been seeking, the rest, the happiness, the peace that I would travel anywhere in the world to find would have a chance to catch up to me. Maybe I would find that my path is less like a road I have to wander down and more like a night sky I have to learn as well as I can. So that if ever there is a star that rises up out of nowhere and asks me to follow to the ends of the earth, I will be wise enough to notice it. <laughs>